From We First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with We. I'm Simon Mannering, and today I'm joined by Catherine Bellavo, the Executive Vice President and Chief Purpose Officer for Hasbro, the Rhode Island-based, publicly traded company that is best known for its toys, board games, and media brands. Under her leadership, Hasbro has been recognized for its corporate citizenship, including being named one of the world's most ethical companies 11 years in a row. We're going to discuss how a global enterprise with thousands of brands re-engineers its business to meet the demands of today's consumers, employees, and investors, and how to activate purpose throughout your company to unlock sustained value to your business. So Catherine, welcome to Lead With We. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. It's so great to spend some time together, Catherine. And I want to ask you, like, you've been at Hasbro now almost 25 years. What brought you to Hasbro in the first place? Such a great question. Well, I am an attorney by training, and uh, I got a call one day from a headhunter who actually excited me when he said to me there was an opportunity potentially at Hasbro. And having grown up in Rhode Island and New England and knowing the brand so well and knowing what a great corporate citizen Hasbro was, how good it was to its community, and when I learned about the opportunity to have a hand in writing our business ethics principles for our supply chain around the world, including Asia, I was absolutely intrigued. And from there, it's been uh, nothing but an incredible journey. Tell me, you know, some of us who are in the business world still might not be familiar with what are the sort of legal challenges that are associated with a toy and media brand like Hasbro? What comes up on a daily basis? There's so many challenges as a global IP company. We have uh, regulatory challenges. One of the things that many people don't recognize as a company that produces toys and games, that we're one of the most highly regulated um, consumer products business in the world. And that's because we serve children. And so with that privilege comes this huge obligation to ensure that our products, toys and games are of the highest quality and safety. So that's one of the many uh, challenges that we face. Intellectual property is another one. Of course, our IP is um, our treasure. And so we are, like many brands, you know, very vigilant about protecting our intellectual property as well. And in early 2021, right at the beginning of the year, you became the first chief purpose officer for Hasbro. And I was so excited to chat with you today because Firstly, what on earth does that mean? It's a new title in the C-suite. You see a few of them emerging today, but give us a sense of what that role entails. Yeah, well, thank you so much. It is indeed a fairly new role, and I'm honored to be the first chief purpose officer, as you said, at the company. What purpose really means at Hasbro is it's a symbolic and an actually very real commitment of bringing together strategic functions across the company to really harness the full power of of those functions. And so when I talk about strategic functions, they're really the functions around ethics, sustainability, governance, human rights. And what I like to say in our um, organization is that we're both the conscience and the voice of Hasbro worldwide. So we're responsible for ensuring that every day we operate with integrity, we operate responsibly, we operate sustainably, and that we communicate our principles, our core values, and our strategy to our stakeholders in a consistent way. So very busy, it's very exciting, and we're continuing to um, integrate our organization and, and really ensure that we use our company as a force for good in the world. It's, it's something that's very deep and important to our company. Yeah, and I want to dig into some of the specifics of that in a minute, but there's a question I have. I mean, WeFirst has been around 11 years, and we've seen this evolution over time 
as to the role that business is playing. But you know, to somebody listening, you might think, well, wait a second, we had CSR, corporate social responsibility back in the day. Then there was the green movement. Then there was sustainability. Now you hear a lot about purpose. How would you characterize this evolution? And why is there a need to create a, a purpose officer at the top now? How does it all ladder up to that? Such a great question. And you're absolutely right. It's been a growing evolution. And I would say during COVID, it almost became a revolution because I think that consumers and um, humanity, quite frankly, around the world and society recognize that in global crises, whether it's a health crisis, a pandemic or otherwise supply chain, that industry has an important role to play, number one, in solving some of society's biggest problems. And number two, I think employees and, and just human beings around the world all, you know, locked down at some way, shape or form from the pandemic ultimately said to themselves, um, I, as a human being, want more out of my life. And so I think what we see is the convergence of two trends or two themes, one being that employees, particularly, um, I would say in the West, for sure, wanting to work for purpose-led companies or companies that are doing good and companies where employees and individuals can feel good about what they do. Uh, one really interesting statistic that I read recently, and I believe it was a McKinsey statistic, stated that 99% of individuals and employees feel if they don't live their purpose at work in their job, they don't have a purposeful life. And so I think when we think about from a macro standpoint, why the revolution and why the necessity to have purpose um, at the top, it's because we realize it's a strategic and business imperative. It's no longer a nice to have, it's a need to have. Yeah. I mean, I think we can't avoid the fact that everyone every day opens their phones or their computer and sees the headlines, which is just more cause for alarm. And you, you know, if you don't see the need for change, you're just not paying attention. What would you say you've experienced? Is it companies need to preemptively sort of have a role like this in the first place to respond to these emerging trends or expectation? Or do you find companies are actually reacting to what consumers want, what investors want, what employees want? What would you advise? Yeah. So look, I think most importantly, first and foremost, it's critical for organizations to identify their North Star and ensure that they've got core values. They understand the mission of their organization, the products and services they produce, but also what is their ultimate purpose in society? And then once that is clearly articulated, it's then critical, I think, to operationalize that approach and really embed it in your business strategy. But I would say that Many organizations are reactively taking an approach to say we are embracing ESG. Um, and I think sometimes stakeholders will see through that. I think the best approach really is it for, for it to be an organic and a um, authentic approach within an organization because otherwise it's just window dressing. And again, I think stakeholders, whether it's consumers or employees, will see right through that. You know, one of the things I hear, Catherine, which keeps me up at night is that you see a lot of commitments by big brands around net zero or carbon neutral and so on. And many of them are 2040, 2050, even later. And when you think about the timelines we're working against with these issues, whether it's the climate emergency or more, these timelines are contracting towards us. They're not static. So, you know, how quickly does a company need to move today? And, and what is, how do you set realistic expectations? Because it's not easy to maneuver supply chains and, and tiers of suppliers and all the different moving parts that make it, especially a large enterprise like Hasbro or many others possible. So how do you know where, you know, what new role you should play and what timeline you should work against? 
Yeah, well, I think um, the timeline, the time is now. So I think this is something that every organization around the world, um, particularly companies that have complex global supply chains, need to absolutely consider uh, if they haven't already. As you say, the clock is ticking and these issues are very complex. It is very difficult, as we've seen through the pandemic. We have built as a global economy, as a global society, we've built very, very efficient supply chains, but not necessarily resilient supply chains. So I think that organizations and governments are looking as we speak at how do we address immediately the needs that are upon us. And where, where do you begin in that process? Because whether you're a small startup anywhere in the world or a global enterprise, it's still complicated. And Hasbro has this incredible portfolio of brands. So firstly, give us some of the, the top two or three brands that everyone knows, just so they know what those Hasbro brands are. Wonderful. Well, I'd love to. So we um, we are the proud um, brand owner of Monopoly, and I hope that uh, that's a very familiar and uh, beloved uh, uh, board game. And uh, in, in many different ways, uh, Monopoly comes to life for consumers and uh, across families and fans around the world. Uh, Play-Doh is another wonderful um, compound that's iconic as, as well. Um, Magic the Gathering is one of our wonderful uh, trading card games, but also um, is enjoyed by consumers online and fans uh, around the world. Uh, Transformers, uh, My Little Pony, uh, Littlest Pet Shop, and and many more. So um, we're very, very blessed. Uh, we have thousands of brands, actually, but these are some of our uh, bigger brands. And so with thousands of brands, where do you start? Because in my experience, different brands are at different points in their journey. They have different challenges peculiar to how they're made, how they're distributed. So, you know, you've got this chief purpose officer role. You've got thousands of brands. You've got global supply chains. You have these iconic brands and you've got this new role. Where do you begin? That seems pretty daunting to me. Well, it's interesting. It sounds daunting, but in many ways, I think if you put a framework in, in place that you, um, which we did, we put a purpose framework in place that very much leveraged a lot of the policies and procedures and rigor that we had as an organization to ensure that no matter where a brand or a product is produced around the world, it's the same quality, same safety, and it's the same you know level of experience for our consumers worldwide. So that's something that's really critical. And I know I talked about that earlier in the podcast in terms of being a very heavily regulated industry, particularly for our toys and games. But I think at the end of the day, we're also guided by a principle around ensuring that we're producing appropriate high-quality content for the intended audience because we also produce content for audiences that are not children. Um, and that's really important to us as well, that we meet the expectations of consumers and create, you know, delightful experiences for them and lifelong memories. And, you know, one of the things that we believe at Hasbro is that play is not for children only. Um, play is for everyone. And I think by creating uh, products that transcend generations and connect generations, um, we're doing a wonderful thing. No, I think, you know, the ability to play without necessarily just staring down the, the lens of a screen and so on is a lost art that we've got to recover in so many ways. Sometimes people shy away from leaning into purpose because they think, oh, wow, it's a total overhaul of their entire business. But if they have integrity in the first place, it's really just an, a formalizing and organizing principle for what they've been doing already. And everything falls into place when they do that. One of the things I'm always intrigued by is, you know, sometimes if the enterprise itself or the corporate, um, the HQ sort of tells brands what that purpose is. The experience of it can be prescriptive. Oh, you're telling us what to care about. 
as opposed to sort of elevating or celebrating what the brands are doing and and they're you know living their respective purposes in their own right how do you do that how do you make sure that the brands themselves which have large businesses in their own right kind of work in hand in hand with the corporate you know office yeah well it's really interesting we're very lucky at hasbro because purpose and doing business um, and bringing your brands to life in a responsible um, an authentic and sustainable way is something that's in the DNA of our company. And we always say it goes back to the founding family. We're almost 100 years old. We were founded by the Hassenfeld family, um, a family that gave us such a rich legacy in DNA around doing good for the community and being a great employer and bringing brands to life to really improve the lives of children and consumers. So it's very much in the DNA, I would say, of all of our teammates um, and also within the brands, if we think about sort of the brand essence of each and every brand, there's always an element organically and authentically of purpose. So it's just been a matter of somehow teasing it out authentically and rolling it up to the higher purpose of the organization, or in some cases, um, the brands are already there. So I've sat in a very privileged um, place, as has our entire organization, where we have employees who have joined the company um, who are running brands and brand managers who actually authentically and deeply believe in purpose and in the purpose that their brands deliver. You know, one of the challenges that a, a leading brand like yours, Hasbro, and all your sort of portfolio brands faces is that I think, like many industries, the toy industry was associated, for example, with plastic for a long time. And, you know, every industry faces its own unique challenges. But what do you do to sort of re-engineer and deliver on a, a new understanding of the innovations that are going on? Like, how do you course correct that in the minds of consumers? Such a great question. Such an important question. Plastics is top of mind for us at Hasbro. And as you say, the toy industry has been, um, for a very long time, an industry that has utilized plastics because they actually had back in the day a lot of safety factors, and they do continue to provide a lot of safety. So if you think about the products that we're producing, particularly for young children, as we look at alternate materials, we need to make sure they provide the same level of safeness when used and or, as we say, abused by children in the ordinary course. So for example, we need to make sure if a toy is dropped, it doesn't break into small parts. Those are hazardous and children can choke on those. So we're always mindful of balancing the need to um, protect our planet, but also protect people. I'm very proud, though, that we made a decision four years ago to eliminate, and we announced this, to eliminate all plastic from our packaging by the end of 2022. So this was something that we felt um, was the art of the doable. It was a very bold move. We didn't know how we were going to accomplish that goal, quite frankly. But our teams, we've got the best packaging engineers in the business, and they have found a way across many different SKUs, as we call them, to redesign our packaging, eliminate plastic. And we are proud that we're on track um, by the end of 22. So by the end of this year, all new Hasbro products produced, um, their packaging will no longer uh, contain plastic. There's a few pesky items like tape where we can't eliminate tape. We haven't found a plastic-free solution yet. Paper tape doesn't quite work as well. And I think in some cases, a little bit of glue may have plastic, but by and large, we're thrilled because while our packaging was recyclable, what we found ultimately was in some cases it wasn't being recycled. And so plastic was needlessly being placed into the waste stream. So that's packaging. And we're also making strides and we've made some announcements on some core brands to be plastic free as far as the product itself as well. 
I'm just happy if the packaging gets simpler because I've been one of those parents that struggled with undoing those toys over the years. Sometimes they're masterfully assembled. I'm proud to say that we eliminated wire ties to satisfy consumers and parents like all of us. Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. Give us a peek into the boardroom because doing that is not just an innovation opportunity, it's an investment of capital and time that costs the company. And you're sitting there going, especially during difficult times like COVID or otherwise, you know, we've got to make money, we've got to keep everyone in, employed. And at the same time, we're being expected or we would like to make those shifts. What is the cost benefit analysis discussion that goes on? And, and how do you ensure that purpose wins the day? Because there's a lot of disincentives too often. Our board and our management team, and I think our employees worldwide are very aligned around is the long-term strategy and the long-term value creation that these initiatives represent. And so you're absolutely right. Sometimes we make decisions that will actually have um, an impact in the short run, but we believe, and our board's been incredibly supportive um, around investments for the long-term. So we believe that in some cases, and not every case, you know, every proposal goes forward, but I would say in the majority of cases where there is a significant value for the earth, for our consumers, for our organization, uh, the decision is made to move forward. But it's a great question. And I guess I would say back to your earlier question, this whole space, whether we call it corporate social responsibility or ESG or purpose, at the end of the day, I think it's become an imperative. It's a need to have versus a nice to have. So, um, but again, it is, it's a balance between a financial issue and a non-financial in many ways issue. The point is well taken. I mean, ESG, environmental social governance concerns, are, you know, these sustainability initiatives by especially large publicly traded companies. And I think what people sometimes fail to recognize is that if they're saving pennies by not changing something now, but it comes at the cost of their future or their potential reputation or their ability to attract employees, then it's actually not a saving in the way that they think it is. And you've got to look at that um, bigger picture. I was also thinking about chatting to you and I was thinking of the global supply chain issues that we've had over the last year or so. I mean, you know, there's a whole dialogue around globalization and so on, but do you think the impact and the insights from the impact of COVID and so on, is that going to force companies of all types to think differently about how they actually manufacture and distribute their products? Yeah, I think there's no question about it. I think um, every company that has any kind of global supply chain um, is really thinking about how do I build the most resilient and durable supply chain. Efficiency is really important, but if you are consolidated in one part of the world, as we see, whether it's a tsunami or any severe weather or a you know pandemic or a political disruption, there will be impact. So I think it's something that every organization is thinking through. And I think we talked about earlier, every government is thinking through. So I think the short answer is yes. I think it's absolutely something that's at top of mind for all organizations, all companies, small, medium, and large. And what do you do to change the whole industry? Because you can only do so much on your own if the other players aren't involved too. We've heard folks like, you know, Alan Jove from Unilever talk about how everyone's got to ladder up their game in the CPG world. So are you playing any role in sort of coalitions or collaboration with other partners to make sure that everyone is working towards a solution rather than undoing the good work of another? Yeah, it's such a great question. And and I'm I'm really proud. I think, look, at the end of the day, brands have a role 
um, not only within society broadly, but within their industries to really, um, I completely support that. And we try to live that every day to lead the industry. And one of the things that we've been doing as a company, back to the plastics question, is in 2018, we piloted um, a program, which is a, a U.S. pilot program to recycle toys. So toys, in case you're not aware, toys are not readily recyclable in normal municipal streams across the world. And so in partnership with a um, recycling company called TerraCycle, we piloted a program that's turned out to be very, very successful. And we're now rolled out in 12 countries around the world. But our vision is ultimately, and there have been other peer companies that have joined the initiative, that this become an industry-wide program. And so we're working across countries like Australia and Europe and South America and North America um, to lead the industry to adopt a, you know, a recycling program. What's super about these programs is that the toys that are recycled, at least for Hasbro's program, are going to uh, the production of park benches and uh, surfaces and like basketball courts and play spaces. So this sort of circularity, so to speak, has um, been really wonderful to see. But absolutely, I think there is a role for every brand to play, small, medium and large, in terms of elevating its, its, its industry and forming coalitions to do good. I love that the end of life is that they become a park bench in a playground or something like that. What about upstream? I mean, one of the challenges in the apparel industry, for example, is you've got tier two, tier three, tier four suppliers that most people don't know exist in the supply chain of a company. And they may be doing practices that are out of sight, despite the best efforts of audits and fair trade and so on. How do you incentivize your sort of deeper suppliers to make sure that they just don't put cost savings or profits first? It's something that we've been working on for, for a long time. A couple of the strategies we've put in place, first and foremost, you know, I think our approach as a company, this has been long before I was chief purpose officer. Again, this goes back to um, the legacy of our, our founders on whose shoulders we stand. But our strategy was really around being stewards, stewards in the supply chain and really, you know, working collaboratively with our third-party vendors and factories. And at our company right now, we don't own any manufacturing, so we are 100% third-party. So what does that mean? That means that we have to build an incredible collaboration and partnership of trust and ensure that our expectations, our requirements around human rights and sustainability are not only understood by vendors because they're going to be audited, but they're actually embraced because they know it is absolutely the cost of doing business and a requirement of doing business with our company. So we start obviously at the first level, which I know most brands do, but then we actually go deeper and we have actually um, created a system of incentivizing and increased business for those vendors who actually um, select subcontractors uh, who we also audit and who are compliant. So we know there's many, you know, there's much more work to go and to do, I should say, in this space. Um, in some ways, we've been able to go much deeper than just the second level. In other areas, we've stopped at the second level because it's it's been practical, but it's absolutely something that we need to work toward as an industry. I'm really proud of Hasbro because we are um, members of something called the Responsible Business Alliance, which is a you know a human rights auditing organization that represents the electronics industry, retail. Um, and we were um, one of the first, if not, I think the, the first toy company to join um, that initiative. And it's, it's, it's really a best-in-class program. So I think working together within our industry and very closely with our supply chain, as well as outside of our industry to learn best practices um, has been successful for us. But more to do. We're certainly not uh, anywhere near where we want to be. 
No, there's, there's no shortage of opportunity, shall we say, in the positive change space, I guess is the most positive way we can all look at the future right now. But if we, if we spin from doing less bad to more good, there seems to be an inherent opportunity with young people, especially kids, to kind of almost leverage the power of play and toys to educate them about these challenges and how they can shift their thinking and behavior and see themselves as stewards of our future. Is that something that you think about actively in the, in the toy world? Because toys are sort of timeless. You know, they've been around and they're sort of peculiar to different life stages and so on, but the world around us has changed so much. So are the very nature of the toys you're thinking about, is that changing? So we view that each and every toy, every piece of content tells a story whether intentionally or unintentionally. So we have been very, very purposeful around development of our brands and, and really looking closely at the messages that our brands send. And so um, it doesn't have to be explicit, but we believe, for example, in sharing um, that we are committed to sustainability and recycling across all of our packaging and all of our products sends an express message. But if I look at, for example, the content of the Mr. Potato headline. It used to be called the Mr. Potato headline. We now call it Potato Headline. And why is that? It's because actually the line is a line of potato families. And, and families today are all sorts of different families, mothers, fathers, children. And so what we wanted to do was make sure, even in the branding of our products, that every child could see him or herself and him, his or her family in, in, in the toy. So that's just one way that we're looking at sort of the stories that we tell and the stories that we really encourage our you know, children and consumers to, to experience with, with our toys. And I'm really proud of the potato headline for doing that. You put a big smile on my face because I had not recalled this myself. But when I was really young in Australia, growing up in Sydney, I was a huge Mr. Potato Head fan. And I didn't really, really remember that until you just mentioned it then. And I was just like, had all these flashbacks of, uh, yeah, back in the day, back in the day. And, you know, obviously all of these efforts that you're doing allows you to get recognized on lists that are really meaningful out there today. I mentioned you know, at the top of being one of the world's most ethical companies um, for, you know, 10, 11 years in a row now. That may sound like great optics for a company, but it's very substantive these days and it's meaningful to the business. Can you explain kind of what sort of rigor is brought to, you know, um, judging who gets on those lists and what is the the reputational value to the business? Because I never want purpose to be understood as something that's just great optics or good intentions, it's always got to have business rigor to it as well. So, you know, how do you get on a list like that and what value does it bring to the business? Yeah, it's a great question. So we're very humbled and honored to have made Ethisphere's uh, world's most ethical company list for in 2022. Like you said, it's for the 11th um, consecutive year. And for those who aren't aware, Ethisphere is a think tank based in New York and they evaluate companies around their governance ethics, compliance, sustainability, and generally ESG practices. And it's really a very deep dive into an organization's rigor, robustness, and governance around these um, issues. And so I think what um, an easy way to explain um, these types of recognition is that they are actually external validations of the efforts that an organization has put um, to developing a culture and running a business responsibly and ethically. And it means a lot. I would say most importantly, it means a lot to our employees. Our employees are very proud. And I think as we think about attracting post-COVID in this new world, what is the employee of the future looking for? Looking to join an organization that is well-run, that is responsible, that is protecting the planet, 
but also has a has a very solid uh, moral and ethical core. And I think for us, in being recognized um, with these some of these really special and important rankings, uh, means the most for our employees. It of course means a lot to other stakeholders, um, but I think first and foremost our employees. It's a real pride point for our employees, and it's a rallying cry. I think you know in terms of how we do business every day and thinking through that ethical and moral lens. You know, I sometimes I think that the true value of a company is whether an employee can sit there and go, oh, I work here, and their friends go, cool, or not. You know, it literally comes down to that. And in light of the great resignation and hybrid work and the flexibility that so many employees seem to want these days, for good reason, you know, that's become even more important in my experience talking to different companies, that unless you can really have, as you say, credibility and bragging rights and have that sort of external validation about what you're doing, it's it's a lot harder to attract the talent that you need. There's another organization that um, I very much respect their their research and their insights, which is um, the Just Companies organization. And, and, and you're on their list of most just companies in the US this year. What what does it mean to be a just company? Because obviously, ever since the Black Lives Matter movement and the primacy given to diversity and inclusion and equity and so on, this is more important than ever. So what does it mean to be a just organization? It means a lot to be a just organization. It means that as an organization, you're putting your employees and your community and humanity first. And I think one of the things coming out of COVID um, and actually during COVID that employees as human beings, as family members struggling with health issues or those of their family were looking for was support from their employer. And I think when Just Companies took a look at, or the Just Company organization took a look at organizations that were supporting their employees and supporting their communities, whether they were uh, working in manufacturing like uh, manufacturing facilities, excuse me, like we were to convert um, our toy and game production to PPE production, or we were giving um, folks flexible work opportunities to take care of children or elder family members at home. I think at the end of the day, it, to us as a company, it means really operating through that humanity lens and operating first and foremost for each other as human beings. You know, I often talk about how we're not doing enough and the urgency and so on. But, you know, Hasbro is one of those companies that are at the forefront of doing, you know, the, the right thing. But then there's more competition at that end of the spectrum as well. More and more companies are becoming more purposeful, more and more are making ESG commitments. So it's quite competitive at that end of the pool as well. So what do you do to ladder up your game? How do you go to the next level? How do you sort of compete in this space? Well, it's interesting. It's wonderful to see that the bar keeps getting raised and it's wonderful to see in organizations and industry embracing doing the right thing. I think for us, we're always you know, guided by our values. And for us, the evolving landscape, whether it's different parts of the world where we're operating, new expectations of consumers, continue to be serve as the bar for us. And so while, of course, we're being judged within our industry, we're being judged within a broader consumer products or entertainment industry, at the end of the day, I think staying true to our core values and staying true to our business, our employees, our consumers is really ultimately um, the bar that we set for ourselves. And so it happens quite organically. Um, but of course, we still want to be on those lists. So um, <laughs> there's no doubt. <laughs> and you know, the there's a funny resonance that I think play has today and moving forward that maybe didn't exist in the last several decades. I say this as a parent of two daughters. You know, 
when I grew up, the world seemed to be a, play, a planet of infinite resources and business could grow exponentially and the future looked bright. In contrast to today, where there's just so much to be concerned about, as we all know, and that we've touched on in different ways today, which then throws a sort of new responsibility on play and toys and how you nurture childhood that probably didn't exist before. So where, how do you see the industry changing in the next 10 years, given how the context of life has changed? Look, I think I think the industry will continue to have to put the well-being, health, safety, and that includes emotional health and mental health and, and safety at the forefront of everything um, that we do. I think we are very, very um, aware as an industry that every message we send, every story we tell through our products, through our content online um, has a consequence. And I think um, I'm very, very encouraged to see the toy play and entertainment companies of today really focused on the impact um, and intended consequences as well as potentially unintended consequences. So I think that the role of the industry will become even more critical. And I think expectations of consumers for industry to step up will also increase. And I think I'm very encouraged. I think the industry is poised to, um, to really uh, do the right thing. So what keeps you up at night, Catherine? What's, what's that thing that sort of makes you toss and turn? Look, I think like all organizations, we worry first and foremost about health and safety of humanity, of our employees, of our workforce, whether it's through pandemics, whether it's through, uh, you know, political strife like now, right now that's going on in the U Ukraine and Russia, where many businesses um, have been operating. I think the health and, and well-being of our planet is, is first and foremost. And we're doing a lot at Hasbro, but we know, um, you know, we're scratching the surface and there's more to do. Uh, so I think there's a lot, um, there's a lot that, you know, was forefront and, and keeps us up at night. But on the other hand, I think that we are um, still very, very encouraged by the hope, resilience and the, and the playfulness of humanity and, and everything that um, we try to do and ultimately is our purpose. Uh, in this world and why uh, we try to make the world a better place, you know, for kids and fans and families through through our brand. So we're hopeful, uh, but also laser focused on the challenges ahead, uh, which are really people and planet at the end of the day. Yeah, it's those basics for sure. And, you know, in this new role as Chief Purpose Officer, is there any guidance you can give us, whether it's a decision you made, which you'd wish you'd done differently, anything you look at in hindsight and said, oh, well, I've learned from that. And, you know, you'd love to share that with us because it is a new and emerging and increasingly popular role. Anything you'd share? Yeah, I think one thing that is a bit of a challenge, and I've talked about this internally with my colleagues across the company, is sometimes the word purpose, and we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, is a very sort of amorphous word. What is What does that actually mean? And I think one of the things that's really important, and I, I suspect I could have done better in the beginning, was really clarifying what does purpose mean? Um, and it, it's not just your company's purpose, but it's really developing an organization where you help each and every employee in the organization uncover his or her individual purpose, connect it with the company purpose, and then ultimately find fulfillment. Um, at work. And I think that will be the secret sauce. And that will be something that uh, we are looking at Hasbro to accelerate and as part of a, a longer term strategic plan in the purpose organization, really bringing purpose 
um, from the individual perspective to the company purpose and then beyond? I have to ask you, as someone who lives in the Hasbro world day in and day out, and you have for 25 years, what's the coolest toy or the coolest artifact that, that you have in the office? What's your favorite? Well, I have to say my favorite is the original potato head. And why? Because the original potato head was a real potato. And if I'm sitting here in 2022, do you think we could ever bring a product to market, um, first of all, with sharp points and edges, which uh, the eyes and ears and pieces were, and maybe that was the potato head you played with, but second of all, bringing a real vegetable, uh, which would create issues of uh, food waste. So you have both a safety issue and a food waste issue. So but I think it's a wonderful example of how we have evolved as an industry. Um, and it was the first um, toy advertised ever on television. So uh, I have to say that the artifact of our original Mr. Potato Head has to be my favorite artifact. That was the one I played with. And that's why I put a smile on my face back in the day, because it was a real potato. Catherine, thank you so much for the insights and congratulations on this new role and for all the leadership at Hasbro. And, you know, we look forward to seeing the whole industry evolve and better serve people and planet moving forward. So thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead With We. Our show is produced by Goal 17 Media, and you can always find out more information about our guests in the show notes of each episode. Follow Lead With We on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, so you never miss an episode. You can also listen to Lead With We on all United flights on their entertainment consoles. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review on your platform of choice. It really helps us build the show. You can also watch our episodes on YouTube at We First TV. If you're looking to go even deeper into the world of purposeful business, check out my new book, Lead With We, which is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Google Books. See you again soon, and until then, let's all lead with we.